Welcome to Improv, Beat by Beat. I'm Curtis Rutherford. I interviewed a whole bunch of different improvisers and then edited together chunks of those interviews to investigate different aspects of improv, one piece at a time. This is episode 14, The Monocene. This is really part one of a two-part episode on different forms. The first episode focuses on the monocene and how it was developed. The next episode will go more into other forms and how they are built out by a director. A monocene is, as the name would indicate, one long scene with no edits. This removes two of the main tools that you use to heighten in other forms, especially the Herald. You can't time dash, and you can't do analogous scenes. In its place, you can often build up the setting more clearly and spend more time focused on each character, really establishing their game and finding what's fun and blowing it out. It's one of my favorite forms to do because it takes away some of the math of a herald and forces me to do that math in the back of my head, subconsciously, while I just focus on existing as a character and reacting to and labeling the other characters on stage. First up is Kevin Mullaney. We'd been talking about different forms he had worked on, and we're discussing the difference between an improv teacher and an improv director. Can we kind of break apart a form that you've worked on and talk about maybe like a little bit of the evolution of how it became what it eventually became? And I know probably a lot of it has to do with whoever the cast is when you're first working on it. But like, what's a form that you particularly like enjoyed kind of directing and finding that and and tweaking? Well, definitely the, the mono scene comes to mind. Yeah. And I feel like that's the one that I had the most input into. Yeah. So years ago, when I was still in Chicago, I was uh, helped produce and was like the assistant director on a show called Naked. And it was a two-person, one-hour improv scene, basically. Jimmy Crane and Stephanie Weir. I don't know if you know Stephanie. You've mm-hmm. probably heard of Jimmy. And it was perceived as an extremely difficult thing at the time. Nobody, I don't know of anybody who had ever done a 30-minute two-person scene, like one scene, one set of characters. I'd never seen that before. And so we purposely sort of decided upon this structure because it seemed really hard, you know. I think it's less intimidating today. I think there's a lot of people who would go, okay, let's try it, right. <laughs> you know. Um, but at the time, it seemed very strange and intimidating. So that was kind of like, that was kind of in the background of my head with, with it. Also, I had done a Chekhov play, mm-hmm. part of a class, an acting class years ago, and brought some ideas from that into a process that we were working on called uh, Mobius American Theater. Okay. And that was an improvised play. And so I got excited about these longer scenes where people would enter and exit. And when I came to New York, when I first came to New York and I was teaching for the UCB, almost right away I started directing shows, and one of them was this um, show called Individually Wrapped. It was these short one-act plays that resembled what became the monocene, I think, where you would have a few characters, you'd have entrances and exits, and the main thing I was taking from a Chekhov play was this idea that you could have a series of French scenes sort of all connected together, where every time somebody entered or exited this, the stage, essentially a new scene was happening. You could change the the content of the scene or the subject matter. You could change the mood. Everything could change just by one character leaving or coming back. And after doing a couple of shows, I, the, uh, I can't remember if the, uh, the Swarm... I must have been... I think I was coaching the Swarm. And we started talking about doing a, a show. They really wanted to do their own show on the weekend instead of Harold Knight. 
And we started working on two forms. One was like the Mega Herald or something. I don't remember, can't remember what we called it. <laughs> but it was the idea was like if, if the Herald was a Ferris wheel, imagine three Ferris wheels in, connected. Okay. And so each of our is spinning and the whole thing is spinning. And I don't, I don't know what, we didn't get very far on okay. that. Because, <laughs> yeah, cause I, I could see that visualization, but how that metaphor applies to. A4. It was just like a herald of heralds okay. or, or like the most biggest ultimist herald. I don't know. <laughs> okay, gotcha. And then we started working on longer scenes mm-hmm. and we got the idea, well, let's do one scene for half an hour and that's a form. And somewhere along the line, we talked a lot about having an internal structure to it, sort of like a herald. And I can't remember, I think it might have been Andy Seconda who coined the mono scene. Mm-hmm. That was a show that they did for a while, and they, they did that form for a while. And then I think the next team to really blow that form out was Death by Ruru mm-hmm. when they started doing it in Cage Match. Yeah. You mentioned using like the Herald as kind of like an internal structure. What are some of the other, like, very specifically for Monocene, what are some of the other, like, either internal structures or what are some of the guides that you found are very helpful for a Monocene? Well, the idea that, let's say you have five, six, seven people doing a Monocene. Mm-hmm. So if you have two people start the mono scene and they're doing a scene in a hotel lobby, maybe they are the concierge and one of the bellhops is having a conversation. You can look at that as like scene 1A mm-hmm. and maybe scene 1B is a couple who comes in from out of town to check into their hotel room and, uh, and they have a uh, conversation in the lobby before going up. And then 1C is a couple of the, the maids come out of the elevator and, and have a conversation about some disgusting thing they found in one of the rooms, okay? So then what you would want, of course, is to have uh, scenes that return. So later on in the, in the mono scene, if, if we find that the concierge is left alone with the bellhop again, mm-hmm. that they kind of go back to, or they play the same game, if there is a game to what they were doing, they play the same game again later in the mono scene. So in the same way that you have things that you, you sort of discover sort of combinations of characters and games with those characters and then return to them again and again like you would in a Herald, same thing goes for a mono scene. And that makes it different, I think, than you know, just a long scene with people coming in and out. You, you think very clearly like each of these units within it are scenes that we can return to that have games or that have themes or, or patterns to them or however you want to think of it. It was funny because there was one year I was working on the Chicago Improv Festival and a bunch of New York groups applied, many of them saying they wanted to do a mono scene. And the, one of the other people working on it was like, what are all these, what do they mean by this? What are, it's just a scene. <laughs> right. just, they're just doing a scene. And I was sort of like, mm, actually, a mono scene is a little different. Um, you know, putting my, my improv nerd glasses on and going, right. excuse me, uh, it's not just one long scene. That's a different kind of form. That's a scene. Right. It maybe wasn't the best uh, name for it, because in a sense, what it is, it's like a multi-scene. It's right. like multiple things happening in one scene. Just right? under the same skin? That's a terrible way of saying it, but yeah. like under the same umbrella, I guess, of right. whatever that is. I always imagine it like you, you go to a play, and a lot of plays work this way, not all, but many, many plays work this way, where you have a set... And you have, a, you have a half an hour or an hour for each act, you know. And within that act, people come and go, but there's very little change. There's, it's one set of time, yeah. 
and uh, it may be a lot of different scenes in that little space. And then you take a break and you come back and, you, and there's now a jump in time. Maybe the set has changed a bit and you have another series of, of scenes within that. But, but it's not... It's, act. Yeah. You're essentially in the barn if it's a Chekhov right. or something. Like you're doing all of those mini scenes within yeah. that same thing. But if you, if you work on a Chekhov play, it's very, very apparent. It's not one long scene. Mm-hmm. Each act is not one long scene. It's these very clear scenes that, are, that break up the half an hour or 40 minutes of each act. Mm-hmm. Is there anything specific with, only because you mentioned initiations earlier with the kind of monologue ascat form, is there anything specific with initiations that you like with monoscenes? Well, I like the flexibility of different kinds of initiations with monoscenes. You have often the, the first initiation within a monoscene is very slow. People are taking their time. They're getting to know each other in the situation. Um, there's putting pieces in place about the environment and what's sort of generally going on, whereas other people can come in with these very bold initiations in the middle of, of it and sort of, or people can, you know, come in, have an interaction, leave for a while, and they come back and, you know, they, they, there's been an explosion off stage or, right. you know, or, you know, somebody has mugged them in the alley or, you know, these big things can kind of happen off stage just like they can in a play. And they can sort of bring those big things right on stage with mm-hmm. them. So it's kind of fun. It doesn't really, I don't think it lends itself very much to premise-based initiations. I guess if you had a very strong game early in it and then you could, you could think of ways to bring it back later in the monoscene. But mostly, you know, when I'm thinking about premise initiations like within second and third beats you're thinking about what can you change about the circumstances and if you're in a mono scene the circumstances are kind of set right you can't sort of go away and come back and now you're now the, the lobby is now a an airplane or a cruise ship because it was right. like no this was a lobby in a hotel that's the setting for this you can't switch it any circumstances you change are going to be you've now changed for the entire rest of the right. show that oh now there's a dead body there or whatever right now there's a dead body. Somebody got murdered and their body is there. Yeah. Or something off stage, which, yeah, really limits that way to... It limits those kinds of initiations, mm-hmm. for sure. Rather than just coming in and then knowing, like you said, with the uh, bellhop and the other character of the meeting and then finding a new way to then play that new thing. Yeah. That was Kevin Mullaney. By the way, Kevin has a great blog post on his website that gives an overview of some of the best practices for monoscenes. It's called Some Notes and Tips for Monoscenes. You can find a link to it in the comments for this episode on my website or by Googling that title, Some Notes and Tips for Monoscenes, and it'll take you right to Kevin's website. One thing that he mentions there that I love is drop your agenda. If your character wants something in particular, she doesn't need to bring it up constantly. Your character's game is to do a particular thing? Great. You don't have to just keep mentioning it every single time you talk, even if you're on stage for the entire mono scene. You should, by the way, probably find a reason to leave the stage for a bit, depending on the size of your team. But play your game, have fun with it, and then drop it for a bit while the focus is on someone else's character. This happens all the time in sitcoms. Each character's game is clear and simple, but if some other character is the focus of the scene, the other characters just react to that character without bringing up their own thing every single line. Anyway, check it out on his website. It also has some exercises to try for monoscenes, such as eliminating artificial gaps in dialogue and so on. Up next is Lily Do. We were talking about heralds and how the herald form bleeds into other forms. I like seeing it in other 
forms that like kind of everything starts to feel like a herald a little bit and that's also why you should drill the herald a bunch because then mono scenes get easier and like macro scenes get easier everything you just like learn how to feel like how long a scene should be and pacing let's talk about some other forms like what other forms do you like doing because i agree i think the herald does give you in the same way that the pattern game gives you a nice structure for a lot of other openings like when i do sound of movement i want a sound of movement that's like a pattern game Uh i agree like often when i'm coaching for like mono scenes it is like make it like a herald yeah try to find that rhythm yeah are there any other like forms that you really like doing and or coaching i do really like mono scenes Mm -hmm. how come I think it works a totally different muscle yeah. to make it be happening in real time at the same place. And I, over the years, have taken like so many monocene classes. I think I've taken like two separate monocene ASPs over three years even. And I feel like every time I take a new one, I'm like, oh, I wasn't good at this before. And now I finally can do this. Uh, it's also hard because when I started out, like, I had no training in performing or mm-hmm. acting. So I think then it's even harder to live as a character. It's much easier to have the safety net of getting edited out after three minutes. I think it's a really good practice in character work mm-hmm. and, like, character point of view. Because, like, crazy shit will be happening, not just your character's game, but you'll still have to process it through that lens. And I think I used to drop a lot when I first started out because I couldn't really get into a character. I was just in my brain myself thinking about improv, being like, well, what is the right move here? What should I do? And it's just like, just be that nervous mom and and everything else will fall in place or whatever. Even when you're reacting to this new game of, oh, whatever, angry astronaut clown comes in, you're still nervous mom reacting to that and framing that. Yeah. Yeah, and I also like it because we, like, de-emphasize plot and stuff, which I think is necessary. But in a monoscene, you do need this kind of through line of plot. And it's interesting because it's kind of, it's like us channeling everything we know about, like, stories and, like, narrative structure because, like, if something is someone is like set up to die or if there is this like Chekhov's gun, mm-hmm. we kind of like we can feel it like that gun needs to go off. The virgin needs to die in this like horror or the virgin needs to live in this horror scenario right. or die if we're going to defy expectations. But it's kind of like some of it feels a little pre-written. And I had never heard of it described in that way until I took a workshop on the movie form with Anthony Atamanik. Mm-hmm. I never took his class. But when he like watches those sets, he'll be like, oh, because this is a film noir, obviously this, this, and this has to happen because you've already laid out the pieces like this. This, yeah. this is how the conventions of the genre describes you have to let it play out. Yeah. That's an interesting way to think of it. Because- and it feels weird when we don't follow that yeah because we're all expecting it yeah oh it's a western and there's no duel at the end yeah why not well it's interesting because we say like everything's like open and improv like you can do anything and that's true but i also think it's like you can do anything given the certain path that you're on follow Mm -hmm. the path and make choices on the path yeah 
And every deviation from the path, if we're not doing it specifically as we know we're deviating from the path, yeah. it becomes too much. Yeah, it's just, that's just an accident yeah. then, yeah. It's not that cubism is cubism because it's like, oh, let me just paint a million things. It's like, oh, let me specifically just change perspective. Yeah, it's structured chaos. Yeah. yeah. Uh, who do you really like watching do mono scenes? I think in a mono scene, I like the good actors the yeah. best, like... The ones who really commit to it. Like, I like watching John Murray on Ruru, Neil Casey, obviously. I really liked watching Ben Rogers on Outlook of the Poet because I remember, like, I, I there was a cage match set where he was gifted something crazy near the end and he wanted to break and he just did not let himself. He, like, mm. chose to, like, like run around the state or something, but to, like, ra- like, rather than break, just, like, focus his intensity right and i was like i just break man <laughs> that was lily do up next is jenny saint angelo sort of it's also a lot of me in this interview sorry jenny uh we were talking about the three-hander which is a three-person monocene class that was taught by gavin spieler the three-hander grew out of the sets that Gavin Spieler, John Gabris, and Ben Rogers did as Outlook of the Poet in the three-on-three tournament and in Cage Match. They were mono scenes, often in high-stakes settings, and heavy on labeling and gifting. Here's Jenny. But I love that form. It's so fun. It's so fun. I mean, anytime you're gifted with something, I'm like, oh, it's like a warm, fuzzy blanket. Because you, you. you instantly have to give the setting import. You have to make it like, oh, we are not just like hanging out in a mall. Right. It is, they shut down the mall and we're stuck here. Yeah. You have to act the hell out of it. You have to really keep gifting each other and instantly justifying and finding what's the justifi- justification we want to play. Yes. Yes. It changes how now, anytime I do a mono scene, I feel like I'm just instantly like, boom, you're this, you're this, you're this. And just right. like adding and justifying so quickly. Yeah. Yeah. I have trouble with that. I have trouble with gifting externally. Yeah. I'm working on it. I don't know what it is. I've started thinking of it as I, I'm not gifting, I'm accentuating. Ooh. Somebody said something in that I'm just really pushing into that tells me that. Ooh, I really like that. Because um, that way I don't need to come up with, oh, you're Mr. Spaghetti, owner of Spaghetti Factory. I mean, That's love. not terrible. That's actually Isn't pretty that, good. Right? Yeah. But <laughs> it's easier if somebody says something like, I don't want to go to the bank. It's like, oh, we know you're too good for the bank. Yes. Oh, just because you own your own bank, right. you'd think you can't go. Right. Okay, Julie, savings and loan. You don't have to go. Whatever right. it is. Right, 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 right. God, Julie, savings and loan. She's a handful to be around. She really is. But you know what? With a name like that, you got to start you a bank. You have to. You yeah. got to start a bank. That was Jenny St. Angelo and me. It was mostly me. I'm sorry. I'm allowed to put clips of myself in my own podcast, so I don't know. Don't tell me I can't. That was episode 14, The Monocene. I will probably return to The Monocene with other episodes. I'll definitely do some more interviews about it at some point. But for now, remember to treat the monocene as made up of many different scenes, often broken up by characters entering or exiting the scene. Label your scene partners and commit to what you're labeled as. Please rate and review the podcast on iTunes. And if you have any feedback for me, please send it to improv at curtisrutherford.com. That's C-U-R-T-I-S-R-E-T-H-E-R-F-O-R-D.com. Thanks to everyone who has already done so, and thanks to everyone who is part of this episode. Kevin Mullaney. Hi, I'm Lily Dew. Hi, I'm Jenny Angelo. And I'm Curtis Rutherford. Mm-hmm.